Hey, I think maybe we're live. I never quite know, but uh, I'll talk to myself and see if anybody else shows up. So, welcome to a Wednesday evening in my living room. Glad you could join me. Or I'm joining you in your living room, I guess. I'm not sure which it is. But, uh, I see a couple people jumping on, so I... I must be connected somehow. We're connected somehow. Training in Plant City. Training in Plant City. That's right. I've got my weatherman sitting here beside me. <laughs> oh boy. Seven o'clock. Thanks for being with us tonight. Um, as always, sign in, sign on. Let us know that you're here. Um, uh, Carol and Mary and Robin and Derek and Fanny. I feel like uh, the lady on uh, Romper Room with my magic mirror and I see Timmy. And... Okay. I gotta, I, while we're waiting for just a minute to, for people to catch up, I gotta tell you, we are like three months into this thing. And the fact that you're still signing on on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock to kind of sit in on a Bible study is um, very encouraging to me. Uh, you know, the newness is long ago worn off this thing. And um, I don't know, it's just, um, it, it's tough. Kind of connecting in a, in a Bible study, watching either on your screen or your television or what. So, so thanks for joining me. Um, I know a lot of things going on during the week, and uh, you know as we sort of start getting back to more things being opening up, there's more distractions and more options. And the fact that you're jumping on and watching tonight is encouraging to me, at least. Um, and I hope it is you too. I hope that uh, we encourage each other by being together. And I hope that we learn something. And that's the reason we're here, to learn something and not just for information's sake, but for transformation's sake. I told you in my um, announcement on Facebook about tonight's uh, lesson that um, we're going to look at a couple of parables. But I also told you if you showed up at 7 o'clock, you would be there in time for the... I'll take the Bible for 2000, Alex, because I have a quiz for you tonight. And if you noticed, I used the teaser that I, you see on social media all the time. It's really hard. And you're only, you're only going to get like 50%. But if you, if, you, if you ace it, then share it. So, well, you can't share it. But here's the quiz for tonight. We have a quorum. We have uh, 50 people watching. So, and by the way, I want you to keep score. Okay, I want you to keep your own score. And the quiz is simply, is this in the Bible or is it not? I'm going to give you a, a bunch of quotes that you hear all the time, quotes that we use in our uh, everyday vocabulary. And I want you to guess, or you shouldn't guess, you should know, is it in the Bible or is it not in the Bible? 
And I'm going to tell you, Martha's sitting right here beside me. I have not shared any of this with Martha. Martha, you're going to keep your score, right? She's very good at things like this. Um, but um, I want to see how you do. So here's the, here's the, uh, the, the warm-up, the icebreaker, the quiz. Again, is it in the Bible? Is it not in the Bible? 20 well-known phrases, yes or no. Number one, turn a blind eye. If you turn a blind eye to something, is that from the Bible or is it from somewhere else? It is not in the Bible. Probably, nicely done, Martha. Probably dates back to 1801 when British naval hero Horatio Nelson, who apparently was blind in one eye, uh, used the wrong eye to look in a telescope. He turned a blind eye to the enemy. Uh, number two, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Is it in the Bible or is it from somewhere else? Neither a borrower nor a lender be. It is not in the Bible. It is from Hamlet. Number three, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Is it in the Bible? Does that come from the Bible or somewhere else? That should be an easy one because it's actually three times in the Bible. Uh, yeah, that's from the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, and then Jesus repeats it in Matthew when he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. Uh, so yes, that's in the Bible. Uh, next, nothing but skin and bones. When you are just wasting away, the person is said to be nothing but skin and bones. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. It is in the Bible. Job describes himself in Job chapter 19, verse 20, as being skin and bones. Uh, next, bite the dust. When someone loses, when someone's defeated, when someone's killed, said they bit the dust. Is that in the Bible? I'm going to get you a couple of, a couple of you on this one. It is in the Bible. Oh, we have, we have, we've, we've got Martha on that one. Um, Psalm 72, 9 says his enemies bite, some translations say lick, but his enemies bite the dust. It's in the Bible. Uh, number six, a little birdie told me. When you get information from somewhere, a little birdie told me. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is in the Bible. You might miss that one too. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, Never make light of the king, for a little bird might deliver your message and tell him what you said. She's claiming it's not a direct quote, but no, it is. A little bird told me. Yep, that's in the Bible. Uh, next, dead as a doornail. If something is dead as a doornail, it's dead. Is that in the Bible? No, it is not. That's from Henry VI. That's Shakespeare. Um, next, this too shall pass. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> Martha is very confidently shaking her head yes. And I'm wrong. It is not in the Bible. <laughs> this too shall pass is not in the Bible. Now, it sounds biblical. I'll give you that. And it came to pass is mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible, but uh, not this too shall pass. I've told you before about um, uh, Mike Ditka when he was fired as the uh, uh, coach of the Bears. He said on national television, well, like it says in the Bible, this too shall pass. Not in the Bible. Um, 
Number nine, a fly in the ointment. If something sort of messes up the works, you say there's a fly in the ointment. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Sure is. Ecclesiastes 10.1. Dead flies, dead flies give the ointment a smell. Number 10, heart of gold. If someone's just a great person, that person has a heart of gold. In the Bible? No, it's not. It's from Shakespeare. Uh, Henry V. Uh, halfway through, what's your score? Martha's being very honest. She's, she's missed three. Okay. Number 11, a drop in the bucket. Something's just a little tiny bit of the hole. It's just a drop in the bucket. In the Bible? Yes, it is in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah 40, 15. Sure, the nations are a drop in the bucket. Number 12, God works in mysterious ways. Again, sounds like it's in the Bible. And Martha is very confidently nodding her head, yes, not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. Now, there is the song, God moves in mysterious ways. What is that? <laughs> Works in or something. Yeah, it's the song. It's an old song, but it's not in the Bible. Um, several times in the Bible, it talks about God's ways not being our ways and, and that kind of thing. But no prophet ever uses the word God works in mysterious ways. Um, number 13, paint the town red. Is that biblical? It is not. That is not in the Bible. Um, it's in some movie, yeah. Probably from 1837, where the Marquis of Waterford got drunk and actually took red paint and painted a bunch of the town red. Um, number 14, sour grapes. If you're bitter about something, it's just sour grapes. In the Bible? Yes. Yes, it is. It is in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 2. The blind leading the blind. In the Bible? Martha very confidently says it is. She's right. It is in the Bible. Matthew 15, 13. Number 16. Give the devil his due. Hmm. Talking about the devil, that must be in the Bible, right? Martha, right? Give the devil his due. I was laughing at this comment. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Eric and you'll say yeah. what you used it in a sermon. It doesn't matter. It's not in the Bible. Uh, that's from Shakespeare as well. Love is blind in the Bible. Talked last week about 1 Corinthians 13. Talking about it next week too. Love is blind. Not in the Bible. Again, Shakespeare, uh, the merchant of Venice. Uh, a wild goose chase. If you're pursuing something that it's, um, you say yes on a wild goose chase? Mm-hmm. Really? Not in the Bible. Wild Goose Chase is also from Romeo and Juliet. That's Shakespeare as well. Number 19, wit's end. If you're kind of the end of your rope, you're at your wit's end. Biblical or some other uh, source? It is in the Bible. Yes, it is. Psalm 107, 27. And finally, number 20, no rest for the wicked. Is that in the Bible? What do you think? You want to rethink it? <laughs> <laughs> it is in the Bible. Yes. Isaiah 57, 21. I thought that was Shakespeare. <laughs> There's no rest for the, for the wicked, says the Lord. Um, so there you go. 20 things that may or may not have been in the Bible. 
Um, if how, what would your score, Martha? I missed some, but uh, she missed some. Okay, I think five. <laughs> she thinks five. That's pretty good. Comments. Okay, pretty good. Uh, if you're bold enough, post your post your score. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of you that probably got 20 out of 20. Some of those were a little tough, though. Some of those had I not uh, kind of been in the habit of keeping up with things like that and, and using worthless, worthless information like that. Not that God's word is worthless, but if it's in the Bible or not. But, uh, I did better than Melody and Debbie Baker. Okay, she did better than... <laughs> Melody and Ryan Mark and Debbie Baker. She did better than Melody and, and, and Deb, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to be a shaming thing. It's just, you supposed to score if you're bold enough. Um, I won't name names, but I'm sitting next to an elder and related who got 50%. <laughs> Mark says he's sitting next to an elder who only got 50%. Hmm. He's not but, naming names. But he's not naming names. Okay. We're in this uh, kind of study on Wednesday night, so that's what he said. And the reason I, I shared that... Um, little icebreaker with you. Two reasons, really. One, just to take five minutes, ten minutes, and uh, have a little bit of fun, but also to kind of get us thinking. There are some things that we are so sure about, that that's what the Bible says, and that's what the Bible means, that we don't really go back and rethink it, because we're just sure of our understanding of it. Um, as I mentioned already, and as you saw in my announcement, we're talking about a couple parables tonight parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, uh, both found in Luke chapter 15. You can go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Once we're there, we won't leave Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep and then the lost coin, and then immediately following that, back to back to back, he also tells the parable of uh, the prodigal son, the lost son. We're not going to talk about the lost son tonight, but we are going to talk about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And I actually was motivated to, to share this uh, story and this thought tonight by uh, a book that I referenced a couple weeks ago. I told you a couple weeks ago that my brother turned me on to a book entitled um, Short Stories by Jesus by an uh, author by the name of Amy Jill Levine. It might be Levine, but I think it's Levine, um, who is a professor of Jewish studies at Vanderbilt University, but she writes about Jesus. And so it's kind of an interesting um, context that she brings. And, um, and she makes some observations about these two parables that I'd never really considered before. And I'm not sure that I agree with all of her observations about these two parables, but it certainly got me thinking. And it made me look at them in a different way. And I thought, I'm gonna share this tonight. I'm gonna share some of her thoughts tonight. And um, if it gets us thinking, then that, that's a good thing. And that plus, I know that, you know, it's a Wednesday night, you're watching online a Bible study. So I'm talking to a lot of Bible students, if not scholars. You know, I know a lot of you probably got 2020 out of my, on my quiz. So, um, so we're not afraid to think about other interpretations of Scripture that we think we've known for a long time. And again, you know, it's okay to wrestle with some of those things and, and to ask questions. Uh, I want to read these two parables. They're both pretty short. I want to just read them back to back and then come back and talk a little bit about them and make make a couple observations that um, ask a couple questions that maybe we, we don't usually ask. Again, Luke chapter 15 is the first 10 verses both of these parables are found in. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So again, the context is a bunch of um, uh, tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. Verse 3, here we go with the parables. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people, persons who do not need to repent. Or, verse 8, suppose a woman has 10 coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me remind you of, I guess, what I would call the um, traditional interpretation and application of these two parables. And by the way, I'm not saying that the traditional interpretation and application is wrong at all. But just, again, let me just remind you of what most people say. Here's what Jesus means here. Um, the lost sheep, the man with the sheep. Most people say, well, that's Jesus or, or God. Uh, the sheep that wandered away. Well, that's a, a believer who has drifted away. That's someone who was with the flock, but now he's no longer with the flock. Uh, finding the lost sheep. That's Christ searching for, restoring sinners, rejoicing with friends, the celebration that takes place when a sinner repents and comes back to the fold. Um, and the applications that are usually made with this parable is, well, the seriousness and the determination of the shepherd. How seriously the shepherd takes the fact that there's a sheep missing and how determined he is to go and do whatever it takes to find that sheep. He leaves the 99 and goes out looking for the one. It's also used as a warning to, to any sheep that might wander away from the fold. You know, sheep are, uh, uh, the Bible talks about sheep and, and we've talked about them enough to know that, okay, they're not the smartest animals in the, in the, in the uh, farm lot. Um, they're in danger when they're by themselves. Um, um, don't have a sense of direction. And then also, of course, the idea of the safety of being with the shepherd and the safety of being with the fold, that safety and salvation are found with the shepherd and joy is found uh, being with the, the other sheep and being with the shepherd. The lost coin. Let me share with you the traditional thought uh, and the traditional application of the lost coin. Again, nothing new here. The woman. Usually people will tell you the woman represents the church. Uh, some people will, will say, no, it's God or Jesus, but most people say it's the church. The lost coin represents someone who drops out, who, uh, who, who just leaves. Uh, the lighted lamp, you know, I've heard it referred to as the word of God. You, know, you light 
the light that, that is uh, used in the search, the diligent church, the search, the church's focus on, um, on, on locating that which is lost. And then again, the rejoicing, uh, the joy in heaven over one person who repents. And again, similar application, uh, the coin was lost, was a part of the group, but now it's not a part of the group. Uh, the focus is on the woman's diligent search. She leaves no lamp unlit. She leaves no room unswept. Uh, she does whatever it takes to find that uh, coin. And when she does, she invites her friends and neighbors to come and they celebrate that the coin that was lost is now found. Again, let me be sure that uh, I stress this. I, I'm not disagreeing with those interpretations. And I'm not disagreeing with those applications. I've taught a lot of classes on Luke chapter 15. I've preached several sermons on Luke chapter 15. I have made those same observations uh, many times before. But maybe, maybe there's some other observations uh, that, that sort of point to, again, the genius of Jesus's teaching. We know these parables as the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We know these parables to be about um, repentance and forgiveness. The author of the book that I referenced, The Short Stories of Jesus, uh, Levine asks, asks the question, would Jesus's first audience come to the same conclusions that we come to listening to this story 2,000 years later? The very first people who were Jews. We know they were uh, publicans and, and sinners. We know they were Pharisees. Those Jewish people listening to Jesus tell these really three stories back to back to back, would they have arrived at the same conclusions and would they have processed these stories the same way that we process them? Um, now she claims it's hard to imagine a sheep or a coin with the ability to repent. In fact, she claims even the, the third parable um, the parable of the prodigal son, that the prodigal son is not really motivated by repentance. And um, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, but here's the question she asked in the book that really got me thinking. And it's the question that she asked, that I thought, you know, I'm going to share this on a Wednesday night, and maybe we'll get some other people thinking. Again, we think of these parables as the lost sheep and the lost coin. That's what we've always called them. In fact, in my Bible, it says the lost sheep and the lost coin, you know, in italics. If I was listening to Jesus tell that story, is that what I would entitle those two parables? Would I call it, well, that's, that's the parable of the lost sheep. And that's the parable, I'm going to call that parable of the lost coin. Her question is, if you were just hearing it for the first time, would you not say, I'm going to call that the parable of the shepherd who loses a sheep. And I'm going to call that second one, the parable of a woman who lost a coin. Now, when you think of it in those terms, the shepherd who lost a sheep and the woman who lost a coin, that changes the focus of those two stories. Because now the focus isn't so much on the sheep. Now the focus is on the shepherd. And it's on the woman. It's not on the coin. Now, now it's on the woman. And, and really, isn't that what the stories say? 
What's that a story about? It's a story about a shepherd who loses a sheep. It's a story about a woman who loses a coin. But when you start processing it that way, now all of a sudden you start realizing, wait a minute, the sheep didn't do anything to get lost. The coin certainly didn't do anything to, to get lost. Would not Jesus's original audience conclude it was the shepherd's fault and it was the woman's fault that they lost the sheep in the coin? And if we start thinking in those terms, then the shepherd can't represent Jesus. And the shepherd can't represent God because Jesus and God don't lose things. In fact, again, the, the, it can't be really a story about necessarily about repentance and forgiveness. Because a sheep and a coin wouldn't sin and a sheep and a coin wouldn't repent either. So now we've got to try to think or maybe rethink what Jesus is teaching. Let me share with you a, a couple thoughts. And these, again, are from Levine's book. Um, and, and I want to share with you a couple things that I, I think I agree with her about. Uh, that I, I think she makes some really valid points. I also want to share a thought or two that I, some reasons why I, I don't exactly agree with her conclusions. Not that I'm the ultimate authority at all, you know, decide for yourselves. But I also want to challenge you a little bit. I want to challenge you maybe to rethink these two parables that we are so sure that we know so well. Um, the parable of the shepherd who lost a sheep. Let's call it that for a minute. The parable of the shepherd who lost a sheep. The shepherd realizes that he's lost something. He realizes that he lost a sheep. Now, how would a shepherd with 100 sheep realize that he lost one? You couldn't glance out at the field and say, oh, there's one missing. It would take a little more than just, mm, looks like a hundred. I've never been around sheep very much. Um, I have been around cattle. Uh, growing up on the farm, we had cows. And for some reason, a lot of the times it was me and Randy who were tasked with going out and messing with the cows. And we, we were together a lot working cattle. And we'd go out and, and we'd have to count cows in a pasture and make sure that they were all in the pasture or one wasn't laying somewhere, especially calving season. So we're always counting. And we'd get to a field and, and uh, we'd say, okay, there's supposed to be, you know, 64 cows in this field. And we'd both start counting. And he'd say, how many did you count? And I said, you know, I'll say, I, I, I got 64. And Randy would say, well, I got 61. So let's go with your count. And we'd go home, you know, but it's tough to count a hundred sheep. They're not smart enough to say, you know, line up in groups of 10. The only way you could count 100 sheep and know that you're missing one is if you were very intentional in your count. The only way to know that a sheep was missing, one out of 100, is if you were very careful and very intentional in counting your sheep. If you paid really close attention, not just to what you have, but if you paid really close attention to what you might have lost. Um, once the shepherd realizes, I've lost one. Because the story about the shepherd who lost sheep, right? If we're looking at it through that lens. Once he realizes, I've lost one, he goes looking for the sheep. And he has, a, a again, diligent search. Uh, he has exaggerated celebration with himself when he finds the, the sheep. 
And then he brings it back and his uh, friends and neighbors celebrate together that he's found his one sheep. Great joy. Here's some thoughts of application if we look at it through that lens. The shepherd knew that he'd lost a sheep because he was paying really close attention to what he had. He's paying very close attention to what he lost. So we ask ourselves the question, am I paying really close attention to what I've been entrusted with? And am I paying just as close attention to what I maybe have lost that I've been entrusted with? What I've let slip away? Um, do, we, do we actually accept responsibility for losing something or someone? And then what kind of effort do we make when we realize something's missing here or someone is missing here. Let's think about the woman who lost the coin, if we're looking at it through that lens. The, women, the woman realizes that her, her um, collection of 10 is incomplete. There's one missing. We know this is a woman that has some means. She has uh, 10 drachma, 10 coins. Uh, would have been about a month's uh, earnings. Um, Again, she makes an exaggerated search for the coin. Just like the shepherd, she, she searches high and low. Just like the shepherd, she does whatever it takes. Just like the shepherd, she celebrates when she finds it. Unlike the shepherd, she's very clear about whose fault it was that the coin is missing. She says in verse 9 of Luke 15, the coin that I had lost. So she does take sole responsibility for losing the coin. Um, again, the application, very similar to the first parable. We celebrate when we find something that was lost. Um, but again, through this lens, we've got to ask ourselves the question, do I take responsibility for it? Do I personally, am I taking responsibility for something that has been entrusted to me that I've lost? Um, so the question that we have to wrestle with when, when thinking about these parables in, 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 this term, in these terms is, have we counted? Have, have we taken an inventory uh, of what we have? Um, do we notice what we've lost? And when we do notice that we've lost something, what do we do about it? Have we been faithful, I guess is the right word, in keeping track of, in counting people and things in our lives. So if that's, the, if that's the lens through which we're reading these two parables, that's the interpretation, then the question comes to me, okay, what do I need to, pay, what do I need to be paying attention to? What do I need to be counting? What do I need to be inventorying? No, you tell me. No, what are some of the things that, that I might look and say, wait, that's, that's missing in my life. I've lost that somehow. And it might be, you know, it, it might be a person. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, a loss of person like in death, but I'm talking about, you know, something's missing in this relationship. You know, I, I look at my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my family. Is something missing there? Have I counted that lately? Have I inventoried? What what is what it is that I was entrusted with, and maybe what I've let slip away, or maybe what I've just put away. Um, maybe it's you know my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Am I, am I counting them? Am I keeping track? Am I paying attention? Do I realize when someone's missing? Now, something's not right here. Someone's missing. Or maybe it's, you know, uh, a lost person, someone who doesn't know Jesus. And I've got some uh, sphere of influence over that person. If I let them slip away, if I just forgot about them, I haven't thought about that person. I haven't thought about his condition. Um, or, or what things in my life have I lost? My faith. Have I allowed it to slip a little bit? Is it, is it less today than it was, you know, a year ago? My commitment to God's word? Have I lost some of that? My commitment to, to the lost again? My commitment to being kind and patient and loving? You know, Last couple of weeks, I've had to ask myself, have I lost some of my compassion for people? Have I lost some of my sympathy and my empathy for people? My responsibility, have I, have I lost some of my responsibility to stand up for injustice? And then how hard am I searching to get back the things that I've lost? Okay, I've lost something in my relationship with someone how hard am i working to get that back i've lost something in in my faith in my uh, you know the, the the blessings that i've been given how hard am i working how focused am i to get that back uh, do i realize the value of what i've lost so looking at those two parables through that lens has really set up a, a whole new list of challenges for me and as i said i think this is the Genius of Jesus's teaching. Parter, Matt says. Okay, part two. What you really need, part two, because you can have so many questions if you just end with part one. You're going to think Tim's some kind of a heretic or something. But so I'm hoping that you'll find part two. Just sign, on live um, again. sign on live again. Yeah, that's what Martha says. Um, so thinking about those two parables, the, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. If we view them through the, the, the lens of it's the shepherd who lost the sheep and it's the woman who lost the coin, we got to ask ourselves a whole lot of different questions. And I mentioned that there's some things that I agree with and some things that I'm challenged by with that interpretation, but I also mentioned there's some things that I kind of got to disagree with that interpretation. I've got some issues with, with viewing those two parables through that lens. Um, here's my struggle. And you probably have already thought of uh, a couple of these questions and you're probably uh, have already raised these same questions. Um, Luke chapter 15, verse seven says, this is after Jesus tells the story of the sheep. Um, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, after he tells the story about the woman in the coin, he says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Levine Levine, uh, claims that those two verses, verses 7 and 10, are actually added by Luke after the fact. She contends Jesus didn't really say that during the parable, that Luke added that commentary after Jesus spoke the parable. And her contention is Luke has misunderstood the parable. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that um, for a couple different reasons. First, I can't find any single piece of evidence, internal or external, that claims that that's the case or kind of leans to or points to that being the case. And I'll admit I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a, a biblical scholar. I've got a really good Bible program on my computer, and I just can't find any evidence kind of pointing to the fact that verse 7 and verse 10 weren't part of the original stories that Jesus told. I think they were. But even if they weren't, even if verse 7 and 10 weren't part of the original stories, I still believe that all scripture is God-breathed. I still believe that the Holy Spirit wanted verse 7 and verse 10 to, to be attached to those stories. Like I said, I think Jesus said it. But I think that, that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit not, not just uh, permitted, but I think they intended verses 7 and 10 to be part of the story. And if they are, and like I said, I'm, I'm convinced they are, then these two parables are indeed about forgiveness and repentance. But again, I'll go back to, you know, that's kind of the, the genius of Jesus' teaching. He teaches in a way that, okay, I've read it, I know it, I got it. But then you read it again and say, hmm, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe there's something deeper going on here. And, and again, I am not the expert on, uh, you know, the, the hermeneutics of this passage. But I appreciate being challenged. And I hope you appreciate being challenged as well. You know, I was forced to ask myself some new questions just this week as I was uh, looking through that, uh, that parable. Um, when I look around my life, what do I see that I've lost? Who do I see that I've lost? And I think about my family, my community, church. Am I taking an inventory? of not just what I have, but am I taking inventory of what I've allowed to slip away and what I've lost? Um, yeah, searching for sheep, searching for coins is a lot of hard work. But in the searching, it's it's not just a blessing for the sheep and the coin. It's not just a blessing for the one who, uh, you know, Jesus talking about repenting, but it's also a, a blessing for the, the wholeness of the group. Um, so, you know, the question that I've been asking myself is, do I count? Not do I matter, but am I paying attention? Am I keeping track? Am I inventorying uh, who and what I've been entrusted with? And am I noticing when, when something slips away, when someone slips away? Do we make sure that everybody feels counted? Do we make sure that everybody that, uh, you know, feels like they, they're a part of the whole. I think some of what we're struggling with in our country right now is that a lot of people don't feel like they're counted because a lot of people aren't counted uh, in the same way. 
these parables address those issues. You know, something's wrong. Something's missing. We've lost something. And it's worth the effort and it's worth the work to restore what we've lost. Um, I can't be whole until what's been lost has been included back in the group. So, yeah, I have no idea how many people stuck with me tonight. I really apologize for the break in the action there uh, and making this a, a two-parter. Um, but thanks for staying with me. I don't know if I've um, said anything that really offends you or challenges you, um, but I, I hope I've challenged you. Um, I hope, if nothing else, that we're we all kind of look at some of these stories again in new ways and, and open for, for new uh, ideas and, and thoughts. So um, Martha handed me a note, love all the lost now found comments. Those uh, those stories that we've that we've known for so long they're they're famous stories for a that reason. You were lost, but now. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're talking about the fact that I was lost, and that now I was found again. I, I think if I noticed right, about half of the people didn't go looking for me very hard. I think the numbers for part two are about half of what they were for part one, and, and I get that, and I'm okay with that, really. But uh, let me end with prayer, and. Uh, then uh, I'll come back with uh, some updates. Father, we're so thankful that you have given us your word and we're so thankful for the depth and the meaning and the power that's in your word. Uh, and Father, regardless of, of how we might uh, process those stories, uh, we, we can't bury the lead. We can't miss the obvious that, um, that we matter to you. And we thank you for the price that was paid and the search that is ongoing for our well-being. Help us to, to pay close attention also to, to what we have and what we might allow to, to drift away. Father, as a, as a church family tonight, we're certainly mindful of a lot of people and a lot of things that are on our hearts. Uh, we ask you to continue to be with Duke and Jeannie uh, Covington and their health struggles. Uh, we're prayerful for Beulah's brother Jonah, that you would bless him and uh, as he struggles with, with some serious health issues. Uh, we pray that you be with Mary Shadwick as uh, she received a diagnosis that uh, is troublesome. Pray that you continue to be with Glenn Howell as he is uh, uh, rehabilitating. Pray that you be with the Alderman family uh, as Daryl and his family are dealing with the loss of, of Daryl's father. Pray that you continue to be with Gary and strengthen him. Um, we're, we're mindful of, of Stephanie Stutz. Um, pray that you would bless her as she struggles with some health issues that um, she just needs your intervention with. Uh, Gloria Baker is back home and we're thankful for that. And I pray that you continue to strengthen her. And Father, I know there's more that, um, that I might be missing, but you won't miss them. So would you bless them and, and would you do just what is needed? Father, we're, we're mindful of the virus that we're all concerned and anxious about. And again, we're, we're putting that in your hands. We're mindful of the tension that exists in our country right now. And again, we put that in your hands. And would you allow us and help us and uh, give us the courage as children of yours and as uh, agents of light to, uh, to speak against evil and stand against evil. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for being with me tonight. Thanks for sticking with me and finding me a second time uh, here in part two. Um, uh, be praying about what's coming up. Um, you should have, uh, uh, all of our members received a uh, survey. Leadership is really interested in knowing what, we, we talk a lot about what it's gonna look like when we get back together. But the question is who will come back together and what do we, what do you, what does the family uh, need it to look like to feel like we're doing it responsibly and safely. So it's a really simple survey. Um, if you've got an email address uh, on file with the office, you should receive that. Go ahead and fill that out. It'll take you 10 minutes at the most, five. Uh, it's information that we really want to get. Um, uh, again, I hope uh, that you're having a blessed week. I'm going to yeah, anything you got going on with, with needs or concerns, uh, let us know at the office. Um, I'm going to end this myself for the, for the first time, but we'll end for the second time.